So do you believe? I don't know about you, but many of you know me well, and so you know that my heart is that we would live out fundamental Christianity, that we would be what God wants us to be, and that we as a community of believers would represent him to the world around us. And sometimes I think it's easy for us to get distracted by the small things of life and forget about the basic and the fundamental things that are so important to our Christian belief. And I preached a a series of messages at Bank, and that series of messages was called Get Real, and it had to do with the truth. And the first three messages of that series were about what truth is, and where truth is found, and the reality of spiritual truth. And then it shifted away from that, and it shifted to how the truth relates to us. And so those messages were actually it was six, six messages, and this is the seventh one. Uh, but the first one of them was how we receive truth, and then what happens when we don't obey the truth, and how the truth relates to our existence. And then this last message is about, do you believe the truth? That's not the title of the message, but that's the intent, the goal of the message. Do you believe the truth? Do you believe God's word? You know... Fundamentally, Christianity is centered around belief in Jesus Christ. There needs to be belief there. But what does that mean? How do do we understand belief? Secular psychologist Jordan Peterson says that the fundamental way of defining belief is what you act out. What you do is how you understand what you believe. So what do you believe? In the book of James, it talks about, James chapter 2, it talks about faith and works. And it makes a comparison of of people who believe and obey and and with the devils. It says the devils also believe and tremble. It says faith without works is dead. You believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. And that passage is in the context of obedience. The context before James starts talking about that is obedience. And so what James is saying is that faith without obedience is dead. There is belief that the devils have that causes them to tremble. They don't obey, and they know the consequences of that disobedience And they're going to, they're trembling because of what they know is going to come as a result of of that belief. James isn't saying that belief doesn't exist if there's not obedience. He's just saying that there's going to be a response. Either there's going to be obedience if we believe it, 
or there's going to be trembling. Two responses to the word of God, to belief in it. So is there unbelief? I'd like to think a little bit about what unbelief is. The Bible talks about unbelief. Jesus in John 8, 44 said, Year of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. You see, they were children of the devil. The people he was talking to were children of the devil. And they were believing the lies of the devil. And that's what Eve did. She believed the lies of the devil. And in believing a lie, she had unbelief in what God had said. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You You see, sin is deceitful. And it wants to deceive us into believing its lie. Sin is offering us a lie. And it goes on to say, verse 14, Hebrews 3, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, the voice of truth, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now let's think about the children of Israel and those who died in the wilderness. What did they, what was their response? Every time they ran into hard times in this journey that they were taking through the wilderness, they would say, it would have been better if we would have stayed in Egypt. And you know what? That was a lie. And they believed that lie, and they acted on that belief. They rebelled as a result of a belief in that lie. It was not better for them to stay in Egypt. Belief is fundamental to Christianity. Belief that obeys. You see, we can say that we're followers of Jesus, but unless we actually do what he says, are we really following him? Or are we simply believing our own lie? Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty four, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. You see, a house is a structure that we build for protection from the storm. And we know what happened to those two houses. The one on the rock stood firm. The one on the sand fell flat. It was destroyed. That protection of a house built on the sand was simply an illusion of safety. 
And if we hear the words of Jesus and we do them not, we're simply creating an illusion of safety for ourselves, not real safety. The title of the message this morning is Real Christianity. What is real Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christian? In Acts eleven twenty six, it says, and when, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And this is what I want you to catch. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So the term Christian came into being because of people who were disciples of Jesus. So here were people who were following Jesus, and as a result of that following, they were called Christians. And Christian means literally follower of Christ. So are you a disciple of Jesus? You see, Christian was established on the understanding that these people were disciples of Jesus. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What does he mean by continue? He means to live ongoing in my word. He's not talking about reading it. He's not talking about hearing it. He's talking about acting upon it, continuing in it. For a text passage, turn to John chapter 12. We're going to begin reading at verse 23 and read through verse 28. John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. That where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. I didn't think about how much this, until I was just reading it here, how much this paralleled the last part of this passage with our Sunday school lesson this morning. And we've looked at at Jesus' part of this passage. And we know that he carried through with fulfilling what God had for him. But in verse 24, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of what needs to happen in the human experience. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And I'd like to just break this verse down a little bit through the message and 
think about each aspect of this illustration that Jesus gave. So let's start out with a corn of wheat. A single seed, a single dry seed. What's its value? It really has almost no value by itself. Likely, the only use for a dry seed would be ground up and used as a food source for some animal or person. Its destiny is basically destruction. And that's how we are as humanity without Jesus Christ. We're a dry seed. As we are, we do not have what we need. Our existence is largely self-centered, and it really lacks any real purpose. Jesus began his ministry with a message for the dry seed. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here in this passage, he says that that corn of wheat must fall into the ground and die. You see, real Christianity can only begin with repentance. We must repent. We must recognize our inability to be what, we, what God created us to be without repentance. As we are, we do not have what it takes to be Christians, to be what God wants us to be. When, Jesus, when that seed falls to the ground and dies, it completely gives up its own life form. It's going to decay. And I believe that's a tremendously important point for us to understand as Christian people. Repentance has no partiality. It's complete. If we're going to repent, it must be a complete surrender of ourselves to God. Not, nothing partial. Nothing held back. You see, and being sorry for our sins isn't really repentance. Repentance. It's sorrow that leads us to repentance. And repentance is giving up. It's giving up our lives to God. And Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the only way to begin to experience the kingdom of God. We must repent. Jesus goes on in this passage to say, he who loveth his life shall lose it, and he who hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. I'm going to share something with you to make a point. Now, I probably have told some of you this before, but <clears throat> it burdens me just a little bit when I hear the term, give your heart to the Lord. And I know what we mean by that term. But I'd like to make this point. Jesus never said that. Jesus never said, give me your heart. He always said, give me your life. Jesus wants your entire being. 
If I ask you this morning where your heart is, you would say, it's the inner part of me. Jesus wants that, but that's not all he wants. He wants your entire being. And unless at repentance we are willing to give our entire being to him, we're not going to experience true repentance, and we're not going to experience true Christianity, and we're not going to experience Christian victory. We must give our entire being to Jesus in repentance. Then what? Then what happens to the seed when it falls to the ground and die and dies? It will bring forth. Something's going to happen. There's going to be new life that's going to come from that. John chapter 3 verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, we need new life. Life from God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. The dry seed is that which is born of the flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. God wants us to experience spiritual life. He doesn't want us just to die and be gone, but he wants that death to bring forth life. Only those who have been born of the Spirit are real Christians. But ye are not in the flesh, Romans 8 verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We are none of Christ if we do not have the Holy Spirit. We must have the Holy Spirit. I am amazed at in taking calls for Christian Age billboards, I'm amazed at how many people will tell me that they are Christians, but when I ask them if they're born again, they say, what do you mean? They don't even know what new birth is. And I just reflect back to those verses there in John. Jesus said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven except you be born again except you be born of the Spirit. When that seed falls to the ground and dies, germination begins. New life springs forth. Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, made alive by the Spirit of God. I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 2. Look at some verses there. Peter is preaching to a group of people here. And he was preaching about how the Jews had, had crucified Jesus. How they'd uh, crucified the Lord and the Messiah. In verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So that was his, his, direct, or his 
explanation to them and, and saying that, that this is the things that ye have done. You have crucified the Lord. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were sorry for what had happened. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said, said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So God has promised that when we repent, we will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we can trust Him. He has promised that. When we give our lives to Him, He will give us the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? But we have to come through repentance. And the Holy Spirit will come. Jesus talks about his disciples being witnesses of him in Acts chapter 1. I should have stayed there while I was there. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And so there's going to be a giving of power to those who have given their lives to him. And the Holy Ghost is going to come and it's going to give power to lives, power to live. And then as a result of that, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And, and so let's project that back to, the, to those people in the book of Acts. Um, in, uh, or maybe we should project it forward to uh, those verses about the disciples were called Christians at Antioch. Why? Because they were witnesses of Jesus. You see, Jesus' life had come into them, and they were living out a similarity to Jesus in discipleship. Real Christianity is experiencing life from above, the life of Christ within us. What happens to that life? It says that it will bring forth much fruit. There will be a result of that life. We're familiar with life, and I, th I believe that's why Jesus used this illustration, because it's something we're familiar with. When you plant that seed in the ground and it sprouts, we have expectation. We have expectation that it's going to grow. Some of you have probably already planted some things in your garden, and you expect those things to grow, because you believe that where life is, there's going to be growth. And you expect, you don't want to just see that garden grow up and get big and stuff, everything get big and tall. You want to see it mature and you want to see it bear fruit. And that's God's expectation for the life he's planted in your life. He wants to see that maturing and growing and bearing fruit. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. He spake also... He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and brought and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered, and he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig around about it and dung it, 
and if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after thou, that thou shalt cut it down. See, God is not satisfied that his life planted in you would just show signs of life. He's not satisfied with that. He wants to see fruit. He's expecting fruit. He's expecting that life will bring forth fruit. And he wants fruit to be in your life. In John 15, Jesus talks about the vine, the true vine. And if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. You see, we're back to this thing of being Jesus' disciples again. Through fruit bearing, we're, we're being his disciples. Being a Christian is being a follower of Jesus. It's being his disciple. And the disciple, Luke 6.40, is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. So we should be like Jesus. Our goal in being a disciple of Jesus is to be like him, like who he is. And as Jesus neared the end of his ministry, in his high priestly prayer, he said, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. And then he goes on to say this, speaking of his disciples, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So we have Jesus saying that as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We have Jesus giving directive to his disciples to be what he was. John 20, 21, Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. How do we do that? How do we be like Jesus? The only way we can be like Jesus is to receive his power through the Holy Spirit. So that we can be witnesses for him. And then in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, I'm going to read it from the New King James. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. Jesus made disciples, and now he's telling his disciples to go and make disciples. And teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And I will be with you. Brothers and sisters, we live in a very affluent society. We live 
at a time and in a place where we have the finances and the technology to pursue the pleasure and the enjoyment and the ease of this world in a way that very few generations ever have. And there are many in our world who are professing to follow Jesus, but are they really following him? And I have to ask myself that question. I profess to follow Jesus, but do I really follow him? And I think at the foundation of that is, do I know who he is? Because unless I know who he is, then I cannot know what to be like. I must know him. And Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3, that this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And I don't remember anything about this, but it was a service here, other than this part of, the, of this experience. There was a service here one, one Sunday morning. And I don't remember what the message was about. I don't remember any of that. I just remember as I got up and I walked towards the back of the church, this thought just gripped me. Do I know Jesus? And I didn't have an answer for that. Do we know him? Do we really know the humble king who walked the dusty roads of Judea, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, who came not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent him, who though he was a king, had the mind of a servant, who was moved with compassion for the hurting, the sinful, and the lost, who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. And those who walked with him on this earth said we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And are we gripped with the same passion that gripped Apostle Paul when he looked back over his life and his accomplishments and he said, but what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ, that I, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Do we know him? Are we seeking to know him? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it, Unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, 
There shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. The fundamental way to understand what we believe is what we act out. Are we seeking with a passion to know Jesus and then to live out life as he lived it? Even in the midst of the world that we live in, the challenges that we face, the prosperity that we have, are we truly seeking to follow Jesus? Because at its very core, real Christianity is simply following Jesus. May the Lord bless you as you strive to follow Jesus.